Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. Uh, this is Professor D, a.k.a. Mick, a.k.a. the other guy. And uh, I'm going to be sitting in for uh, Big Rev, a.k.a. Joel, as uh, we come to the, our final installment in our Revelation series, Heavenly Hymns. Uh, we have covered four hymns so far, and tonight we study the last hymn in our series. Um, it's in Revelation 19, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 10. And with that, by way of introduction, let's uh, jump into a word of prayer. Dad, we, we humbly come before you, praising you and worshiping you. Because as we have seen, and as we'll, we'll continue seeing throughout this lesson, you really are worthy of our praise. I mean, the victory is yours. We already know how it all ends, thanks, thanks to Revelation. And right now, we, we live in, in, in eager uh, expectation of that day when, when King Jesus returns. And um, I thank you for everyone who, who is here in this, in this Zoom class. I thank you for those who, who will be listening in, in, our, in the podcast later. And I just pray that this can be a blessing to all of us. Um, and we ask these things humbly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So with that, um, I'm going to jump right into the reading. Again, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke goes from the, the smoke goes, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who, seat, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Amen. In Revelation 17, Babylon is personified as a woman, but, but she's not just any woman. She's a corrupting, seductive woman, a, a prostitute. In, in 17.5, it says, Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes. So she's not just any prostitute, but she's like the prostitute of prostitutes. And it goes on to say, Babylon the Great, 
the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. So Babylon, which is a veiled reference to Rome at that time, but is also the future kingdoms in, in the end times that, that is going to be out there persecuting, attacking, and trying to corrupt God's chosen people. By the time we get to chapter 19, actually a little bit before that, in um, 18 through 24, you, you probably have uh, in your Bibles the section titled uh, something along the lines of uh, the finality of Babylon's doom. So, so Babylon is finally defeated by Christ. And, and for chapter 19, your Bible probably has a title along the lines of the threefold hallelujah over Babylon's fall. And, and as I'm reading this, as I'm reading the songs, um, I can't help but think of that scene in the movie, The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy's house lands and, and falls on top of the witch. And then you have all the munchkins uh, rallying around and, and they start breaking into song and singing, ding dong, the witch is dead, the witch is dead. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that comes to mind as I look at these songs, especially this one here in chapter 19. Uh, so verse one starts off with this, after this. And with after this being a reference to the defeat of Babylon, uh, that prevailing world power that will be around during the end times. Uh, more than just the city or empire, Babylon is the embodiment of everything wrong in the world. She is the personification of the world's idolatry. Uh, she is everything that takes away the focus from God and shifts it to created things, be it the quest for wealth, uh, the quest for power, drugs, sports, entertainment, even, even dare I say it, our, our Androids and iPhones, or in my case, comic books, um, anything that takes away the focus from God. She has every wrong economic practice from, from slave labor to, to sweatshops, to sex trafficking, to, to any and all unfair labor practices devised by man. She has every, she's every cultural system that goes contrary to the Bible revealed expressed will of God. They say that we live in a postmodern, post-truth world. Think about it. In the time of the Greek philosophers, um, in Jesus's time on earth, and throughout most of human history since Christianity came on the scene, there was always a, a quest for truth, for, for ultimate truth, for absolute truth. Nowadays, there is no truth. It's all about what makes you feel better. It's, 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 it's your truth. There are no absolutes. There is no truth. There, there are no standards. There is no God other than, than the ones of our own making, which in effect, it makes us the gods. Th this is Babylon. Day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment, the, the culture uh, grows increasingly hostile towards Christianity. Um, there always seems to be a Babylon, whether it's Rome in the time of the, of the, the early generations of Christians or, or, or Nazi Germany or modern China or a decentralized Muslim state enacting horrible things like Sharia law, doing, doing heinous things like, like, like um, raping girls. Uh, murdering innocents. Uh, there is always a Babylon that needs to be defeated. And in the end times, that, that ultimate Babylon of Babylons is going to be defeated. So after God puts an end to Babylon, a great multitude, and this great multitude is made up of, of the believers from every nation. They go into praise mode and, and they, they, they whimper quietly. No, no, they, they don't whimper quietly. It says they, 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 they shout. In other words, 
this is something that's going loud. They're unashamed of the worship of, of God. Shouting does not mean that they're shy. It means they're going full throttle here. They're going hallelujah, hallelujah. While, while a common praise in the Psalms is only found here in the New Testament, here in chapter 19, uh, in verses 1, 3, 4, and 6. Psalm 104, 35 says, may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Hallelujah, my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. Um, we praise God because of who he is. We praise him because we know what he's capable of. Um, we praise him because of what he has actually done. He created everything out of nothing. Think about it. He spoke it into existence. He, he holds the universe together. He wills everything together. When you consider the vastness of the heavens, uh, the ocean depths, the, the, the universe to the extent that we can even observe it through a, through a, a telescope. Um, and when we consider that God made it all and is greater than all of it, how can we not praise God? Even if God was evil, and, I, and I'm not saying he's evil, he's definitely not. But even if he was, I mean, when you got a resume like that of these kinds of powers, I mean, he, he's going to be praiseworthy. I mean, thankfully, he's not evil. He's a good God. Uh, and thankfully, he has defeated Babylon and everything that she represents. We also praise God because he offers a, a, us a, a salvation most undeserved. Uh, we praise him because of his power, almighty, if you remember, and his glory. And isn't the purpose of everything ultimately to bring glory to God? God is true and just. That means that in his judgments, God is always right. He's righteous and he's never wrong. That is, that's why God deals with Babylon once and for all in that future end time. Besides the murdering of God's people, Babylon is also responsible for her role in leading people away from God. Um, again, she's a seductress. Remember the Garden of Eden? Uh, it was after Adam and Eve um, when they sinned, right? Um, okay, so when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, were they the only ones punished? While we're all responsible for our mistakes and we can't absolve ourselves by saying that, oh, the devil made me do it. God holds everyone who has a hand in sin responsible. But let's pause here for a moment on the subject of sin. What about us? Why aren't we under God's wrath? Why are we off the hook? How can, how, how can we be in heaven worshiping and singing victoriously in a, in a right standing before God. We're in a right standing with God because God carried out his wrath for us on Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's why in Romans 8.1, it tells us that we are no longer under condemnation. In other words, we're no longer under God's judgment. We have moved from death to life, uh, from condemnable to righteous all because of Jesus. So yeah, you better believe that we have a million and one infinity and beyond reasons to praise him. Um, if you'll recall in Revelation 6.10, we have the heavenly scene where the martyrs cry out to God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Justice, God's justice, 
it, it, it requires a reckoning. If, if there is no reckoning, if there's no justice, then there is no justice. I'm sorry. Yeah, God is merciful, but mercy in no way cancels out justice. In fact, mercy precedes it, but it never cancels it. Mercy makes way for justice. It's not a, a free pass on sin. It's not a, a license to sin. The only way that the account of our sins can be settled and the scale of God's justice is balanced is by accepting Jesus's gift, where because of his mercy, he offers us his perfect righteousness. Um, he can do that because he squared off our account with God by his death on a cross. It's, it's this amazing cosmic spiritual transaction that God has performed on our behalf where, where he, he uh, trades Jesus's clean ledger and, and, for, and he replaces our filthy one with Jesus's clean ledger. Um, the fact that we have been recipients of mercy and are ourselves called to be merciful to others doesn't mean that we lose our need or our sense for, for justice or that we'll never get it. Um, we hope and pray that everyone will come to saving faith in Jesus. I mean, we ourselves were sinners. We, we were hopeless. We, we needed God. The Taliban right now needs God. There are people like us, flesh and blood. Look, what they're doing is horrible, but we've done horrible things too. In the eyes of God, we've all done horrible things. They need our prayers as people who, who, are, who are trapped in a worldview. Think about it. That's all they ever knew. That, that's all they've been exposed to. You know, we, we need to pray for them. I mean, pray for them right now um, that, that like Jesus would, have, would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're, they're doing. Just like someone once prayed that for us. But eventually there comes a time where the prayer changes from Father, forgive them to how long, oh Lord. In one's lifetime or, till, or when Jesus returns, his merciful offer for salvation can be accepted or rejected. Mercy has, has to be received while, while it can be had. Uh, it's a limited time offer. Again, it needs to be received before the day of judgment arrives. Once we die or, or that day gets here, it's too late. Um, all of this to say that there will, will be a time that if mercy is not obtained in this life, nothing will save you from the full weight of the justice the avenging of the saints will be had. In verse three, they again sing hallelujah. As they watch Babylon go, there I say it, crispy critters. The smoke that goes up forever and ever. Yeah, that's crispy critters. Uh, verse four, the 24 elders, they are the representatives of the church. The uh, four living creatures are angelic beings known as the cherubim. Verse four goes on to tell us that they, the church and the, and the cherubim, what do they do? They fall down to worship God and sing, amen, hallelujah. Uh, note for later, falling down to worship God and only God. No exceptions. Let's put a pin on that for now. Again, more on this later. Verse five gets, gets interesting and confusing. It's described only as a voice from the throne. We have another, yet another worshiper shout, praise our God, everybody. Uh, most commentators don't believe this to be Jesus. And that emphasis, and that the emphasis really isn't who is saying it, but where it's coming from. 
um, what direction the worship is coming from. So it's coming from the throne. Uh, and so it's not necessarily who said it. In Revelation 4, 6, it says that the four living creatures are in the center around the throne. So it could have been one of them. Um, when it talks about God or Jesus in the center of the throne, um, the, the references usually have him, uh, something along the lines of him who sits on the throne or who sat on the throne. Uh, 4.9 and 5.1 are examples of, of this. Uh, in 19.5, it doesn't make it clear enough who is actually saying it, uh, but it does seem to avoid the usual reference of one sitting on the throne. So we don't think it's Jesus because of that. And while it's not unusual for Jesus to refer to, to the Father as God and praise him and worship him, the only times um, we really see Jesus doing that in scripture is, well, prior to his resurrection. Bottom line, the important thing is, is the worship of God. As for why praise God instead of, uh, or praise our God instead of hallelujah, uh, which, which is praise the Lord, I, I don't know. My best guess is that where hallelujah, praise the Lord is universal in, in its scope, praise our, and the emphasis on our God is more personal. God is personal as our personal Lord and Savior. Um, it's relational. It, it's intimate. In fact, the Greek word used here for our happens to be the same Greek word used for our in the Our Father prayer. Uh, again, regardless of which name of God we use, whether God or Lord, Father or our Father, the important thing is to worship God in spirit and in truth. As always, true worship of God needs, needs for us to be afraid of him. As, as we shared in our last lesson, the more we come to know and understand and appreciate God, the more in awe we ought to be of him. Uh, that's what fear of him is, an overwhelming sense of awe. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus told his disciples, don't be afraid of those who can only destroy the body, but to, be in, to instead be afraid of God who can destroy both the body and the soul. When fear is addressed in the Bible, it, it just falls under two categories. Don't fear this or that, or fear God. Long story short, it doesn't matter who you are, who you think you are, how great or small you, are, you really are. We are all called to praise God. In verse 6, it shifts back to the great multitude. That, that is, all, again, the believers from all the nations. And, and people often stop and ask me, Professor D., what kind of worship music is there going to be in heaven? To which I'll respond, elementary. It ain't Hillsong. It's heavy metal. That's right. Verse six, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder. That's heavy metal, people. I can hear it now. Thunder. Ah, thunder. Ah, dare to dream. I think I see a smile on Chris's face there. But seriously, what is certain is that worship, that this worship session is so loud and it is so lively. It, it revives, it resurrects the dead. Um, and most importantly, it, it's for God. Hallelujah. This is never going to get old people. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. King Jesus is coming back. He's going to take what's his and no one and nothing can stop him. Hallelujah. Verse seven and eight. Uh, talk about how we can rejoice and, and be glad in him. Again, he has defeated Babylon and he has avenged the saints. 
there is finally true justice. Everybody's clamoring for justice here and there, but here, here we finally get that justice that we, we, we are all longing for and that we all need. And with the defeat of Babylon now behind us, we can move forward into the wedding celebration of the lamb and his bride, the peoples of God, those saved in the Old Testament, the church, the 144,000 and, and redeemed Israel, and, and those saved during the tribulation because of their witnessing. Verse eight talks about being dressed in fine linen that is bright and clean, symbolizing the purity and righteousness that God has given his people to wear. I hope you guys didn't miss that. It was given by God. You see, salvation from start to finish, it's completely God's enterprise. Uh, that, includes, that includes even our righteous acts. Our very ability to do good, to do the right thing, the desire to do the right thing, it's a gift from God. After all, it, it is God who gives us the opportunities. It is God who gives us the resources to do good. It is God who motivates us and inspires us to live good and move, moves us from selfish lives to selfless lives. He gives us our consciences, but more importantly, he gives us the Holy Spirit because believe you and me, our consciences alone don't cut it. Um, God is the source of all good. And, and that includes our, our good deeds. It's like when, when my kids would buy my wife or me a present. Sure, sure, they bought us a present, but it was our money. Um, and that's kind of the way it is with us. It's God's goodness in us and through us and for us too. Um, the wedding supper of the lamb is the feast in, in the kingdom of God where believers from all nations will celebrate the culmination, the, the fulfillment, the, the completion of our salvation. You know, we're, we're literally going to be resurrected. We're going to have a new 2.0 body. Uh, the earth is going to be fixed. Everything is going to be restored. Salvation will no longer be a thing of faith and hope. Think about it. All our Christian lives, we need faith and hope. We're, we're going to come to a point where we don't need faith and hope anymore, like it says in 1 Corinthians 13 but it's going to be a done deal. Like it says in first Corinthians 15, God's going to restore us, the earth, everything. It will be the final fulfillment of all the prophecies of old. Hallelujah. Here, God is telling us it's a done deal. I can hardly wait. Verse 10. This is one of uh, those scripture passages that has always fascinated me. Uh, it reminds me of how small and fragile and vulnerable um, we really are. It reminds us of, of how truly needy we are of God and his safeguarding over us. We can't, we don't triumph without him. We can't have victory without him. Remember verse four earlier, where the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down to worship him? Remember who they worship? Okay, so after the angel tells John to write all this stuff down, well, John drops down and almost worships an angel, but the angel, the angel won't have it. He stops John and tells him that, that he too is a servant of God, definitely not an object of worship. Um, this fascinates me on so many levels because, um, well, well, consider this. Who, who, who was John? John was an original disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. He, he's an apostle. He's uh, later the, the elder in Ephesus. If you remember from our first our series on first John, he's the last man standing. Every other apostle has martyred at this point. And most of the people who knew Jesus in the flesh 
they've died off. Uh, he's 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 the last survivor, so to speak, from around um, 30 A.D. to about 95 A.D. That's what, 65 years. John has been a follower of Jesus for 65 years at this point. In other words, he ain't no spring chicken. He's been around for a long time and, and has seen some real, real amazing stuff. Um, he, he has seen Jesus shine like the sun. He has seen Jesus back from the dead. He has seen Jesus feed both four and 5,000 people with Lunchables, mind you, uh, both. He has also seen Jesus and a colleague of his walk on water. I mean, dude has seen stuff. He's a veteran. He, he most definitely ain't, ain't a rookie. And, and yet here, in the presence of something as, as amazing as an angel, had the angel not stopped him, he would have worshipped him. John almost commits blasphemy here, okay? I mean, just think of who John is and think of who we are. John almost commits blasphemy here. And, and think about it. He almost commits blasphemy in the middle of doing God's work. Because isn't he doing God's work? He's having the visions God's having him see. He's writing down the things God's having him write. So while he's doing God's work, he almost makes this most heinous mistake. And, um, and, and I think that this serves as, as a sobering reminder that no matter how great or small we are in the faith or we think we are, there is always need for humility. There, there is always need to take a personal inventory. Um, this reminds me of one of my, my life verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Um, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The other thing that this verse highlights is that Jesus is God. Think about it. All throughout Revelation, we see Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and he's worshiped. Um, there, there are those who say that Jesus is just an exalted servant, but, but he's not God or he's not equal to God. Uh, God doesn't share his, but, but here's the thing. God doesn't share his worship with anybody. Um, yet time and again, he's sharing it with Jesus. He is shown as two different persons, yet one God. And, and this isn't just the thing in, in the, for, that the New Testament Christians invented. We, we see this also in the book of Daniel uh, 7.13. Where the ancient of days, and that is God the Father, is approached by the Son of Man, Jesus. This is why Jesus most often refers to himself as the Son of Man, um, alluding to the figure in Daniel, not uh, Ezekiel, where the term is used really just to describe humanity. Uh, in verse 14, the Son of Man, Jesus, is what? He's worshipped. And while Jesus and the Father are united as one, it's probably better to understand one as union or unity. They are presented in scripture as distinct persons, yet one God, a single God. This, count, this counters allegations of Jesus not being God or a lesser God, as well as the notion of Jesus being like a state of God or an aspect of God or a mode he assumes. Uh, that, that's, that's just wrong and it's, and it's reductionist thinking. Those are heresies. Um, it's, 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 it's trying to force fit an infinite and great God, an almighty God, into the uber-limited box of our, of, our, of our personal understanding, and that's just wrong. We should not do that, okay? God is the most amazing person who, who is three persons and yet one God. Understand him as he has revealed himself and leave it at that. So, to, so what are we to do with him? 
Simple. Our best response to him is to praise him. Be in awe of him. And if I forgot to mention, praise him. Uh, we praise him because of who he is. We praise him for everything he, he, he has done. We praise him for, for the victory that, that, that he, he has given us. We praise him. Hallelujah. This has been Masterclass Theology. Thanks for listening and God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.